0: All right, let's look at some obvious things. Demons are real entities or personalities. This is not on your outline. This is just kind of a review. They are real. We've seen that. They're not just kind of a force, they're not just something dreamed up by Hollywood. Secondly, demons are at war with God's kingdom, which would include, of course, we, God's people. They are at war. And there is an ongoing warfare that is vicious. We get glimpses of it in Scripture. uh, we even have it even talked about, uh, for instance, in the book of the Revelation, literal war. Uh, Satan and his angels fought Michael and his angels. And yes, that was many, many eons ago or, or however long ago it was. But that war has not ceased and that war continues. And that's why the angel talking to Daniel talks about this great struggle that he personally is involved in. Demons are very active today. Most people think that's just an old slash New Testament thing, uh, but we are part of the New Testament era. And so demons are very active today. Not in the same way sometimes as they were, for instance, the days of Jesus. I heard a really good illustration this week that I would like to use um, from a, a pastor up in Idaho. He used the illustration that one of the reasons why there was so much demonic activity on the earth during the time that the Gospels occur and then are written to record the ministry of Jesus is obviously because the Son of God's walking on the earth and now he's invaded the domain of the demons and Satan himself for now. The domain, not that they own the world, but this is their domain. And he said it's a lot like if you look out at a field that no one's been through for a while and if you watch in the summertime, you'll every now and then see a grasshopper or something, you know, hop from one blade to the next, but if someone goes out across that field before you, what do they do? They stir up all those bugs, right? And all of a sudden, bugs that you didn't see initially, you now see all over the place. They're flying in the air and landing on you and uh, everything else. And he said, that's really what Jesus did. When he came here, it's like he was walking across the field first, and he stirred up all the bugs. And that's exactly uh, what happened. So uh, the, the demons, obviously, are very active uh, demons can, as we've seen, possess unbelievers, but cannot possess true believers. We are possessed by the Holy Spirit. We cannot be possessed, although they can oppress believers. Now, you have to be very, very careful when you read different authors because they will change the definitions of words. And sometimes, for some authors, especially the Word of Faith authors, oppress is used interchangeably with possess. And so they'll teach that believers can be possessed. I don't believe believers can. And so in my use of oppress, I mean to trouble, to uh, to tempt and agitate. And if Christians give place to the devil, even more than that, but not possess. I think that's very important that we make that Distinction. We did in a full lesson. If you weren't here, go back uh, to our website. You can listen to these lessons. Demons cannot curse believers. So the idea of curses and hexes, that's not biblical, especially not in the life of a believer. So you cannot be cursed or hexed either by a demon or some little item that was purchased in like Haiti. Where there's a lot of voodoo that goes on, and there's sometimes they'll say, "Well, there's a demon in that. You bring it into your house, and you're going to be opening up uh, your house for demonic activity." Now, I would say that probably you don't want to have things in your house that were used in in rites of witchcraft and magic and the occult. You certainly don't want items that are satanic. But I don't, I don't believe that we Christians have to fear. And, and so, if you'll read some on spiritual warfare and, and the activity of demons, they'll almost put this fear tactic out there that you could just inadvertently, uh, welcome demons into your house because, you know, somebody gave you a gift that came from some idol worshiping country. Uh, I, I do not believe that. Uh, I also do not believe that there's any such thing as a generational curse that someone could place your bloodline under a spiritual curse whether that would be a witch from the outside putting a curse on your family or an individual in your family that committed some kind of heinous sin or lived some kind of terrible lifestyle and puts a spiritual curse or a hex on your bloodline and one of the reasons why i think that's important is because there are many today who teach that and i'm talking about in the christian circles who teach that that You can have a generational curse, and therefore, much of your sin is probably somebody else's fault. And they'll give you this special kind of incantation prayer that you pray to free yourself from sins of your ancestors. Well, that kind of lets us off the hook, doesn't it? So people will say, well, the reason I'm the way I am is because of my great-grandpap, and you know he put a curse on our family and all this, and I can't help it. We're always trying to dodge responsibility. So uh, th- that, that doesn't work. So there's no such thing as a generational curse. Although I do believe, and we did an entire lesson on this when we talked about what the Bible uh, uh, explains in concerning bents, B-E-N-T-S. Individuals do seem to pass certain sinful propensities onto their children. And those can follow numerous generations until someone acts upon their sin. Notice the, the emphasis on their sin. So we looked at Exodus 20 where God says that He will visit the iniquity on the third and fourth generations. But then He says right after that, but, but, but giving blessing on thousands, meaning that God would much rather people obey Him and He bless thousands of generations than iniquity on the third and fourth. But we cannot escape the fact that he does say he will visit the iniquity on the third and fourth generation. Now again, that's not a generational curse. We don't believe in that. But I do believe that sin is sometimes a learned behavior. And if your family has a particular bent in it... Uh, then that is often passed down to the next generation. Not supernaturally so much. And we often use the phrase spiritual DNA. Please understand that's just kind of a catchphrase to illustrate. The Bible doesn't talk anything about a spiritual DNA. We're body, soul, and spirit. Okay, So sometimes I may inadvertently say something like spiritual DNA. Well, I don't mean that the Bible says that your soul and spirit have... Uh, a Some kind of spiritual DNA, just like your physical body has physical DNA. I, I've just used that loosely. Um, we are responsible for our sins. So I don't believe that you inherit curses. But our lives are learned behavior sometimes. And we learn much from our parents and our grandparents. Which reminds us as parents and grandparents that our children learn much from us. They watch and they emulate And there are certain propensities that can be learned and just continue to be passed along from one generation to another until one generation becomes faithful enough, they say, "Eh, we're dealing with this here. You can see it in the life of Abraham and his descendants. We looked at that in the book of Genesis. And then the last thing, and and we've already covered the first category and really got into the second one. When studying the occult, probably best uh, divided into three categories. Divination, we've talked about that. Then magic, we got a good start on that last Sunday. And then the third area that we'll finish up with today is spiritism. Uh, okay, so let's let's uh, review ourselves. Magics, the art of sorcery and magic mentioned in Scripture. We're not talking about the illusionists that perform in Las Vegas. We're not talking about magicians as in uh, sleight of hand. Now, some of those people in, in the past have gotten into some of this stuff. Uh, uh, Houdini, for instance, did. And so there, there's sometimes a very thin line and it gets blurred. But I do believe that a person could be a Christian illusionist. Okay, I don't, I don't believe that that's demonic magic. Okay, so just want to make that uh, that point clear. So when we talk about magic, uh, in my mind what we're talking about is you're, you're performing this in collaboration with the powers of darkness. So it's someone who intentionally intends to be involved in the occult and and so they do and then we talked about there's a couple of ways some people get involved in this and they don't really mean to get into demonism they are but they're not directly doing it but they get into things like incantation spells charms that kind of stuff it's all demonic whether they meant to be or not and then some just full-blown witchcraft into magic and they intend to to uh, cavort around with demons Uh, And and we saw some of the things that magic includes, healing and afflicting of diseases, love and hate magic, curses, fertility, charms, uh, uh, persecution and defense magic, all this kind of stuff. These are just things that you'll read about. The Bible doesn't specifically address all of those, so we want to be careful that we, uh, we don't go where Scripture does not go. We do know that the Bible does seem to clearly indicate that when Moses went to Egypt... Uh, the two magicians, Jannes and Jambres, actually were uh, sorcery-type magicians. They had some kind of demonic power, and they're able for a while anyway to replicate the miracles that God's working through Moses uh, primarily. And uh, eventually, of course, then they, they can't keep up with God, and, and they fall into the dust. But the point is they were real. Paul says it to Timothy, so he reminds Timothy... That uh, those who are false teachers and false prophets are very much like Jannies and Jambres who resisted Moses. Uh, they're one and the same. Remember that God says to, to Samuel that uh, rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. You remember when Saul was told, now look, you go and you destroy this, this heathen army on the battlefield, but don't take their stuff. Burn their stuff. Well, one of, one of the uh, things that they did is they, they took back some of the stuff to offer as sacrifices to God. And Samuel said, what is this? He said, look, God doesn't want this. First of all, he told you don't take any of their stuff. Well, Saul says, we're going to offer it as offering. He said, God doesn't want that. And then Samuel makes this classic statement, to obey is better than sacrifice. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. Now, that does not mean that if you're a rebellious individual, you're practicing witchcraft. But what that does mean is that as God sees sin, there are some sins that are really, really more severe than others. doesn't mean that there's any good sin, but rebellion is one of those high-level sins. You remember when God says in Proverbs chapter 6, there are six things I hate, seven is an abomination. And the first thing he mentions is pride. Pride because pride blinds you to all the others. So everything else on the list you become blinded to if you allow pride into your life. Pride is, of course, a form of rebellion. And so Samuel says, God says, that he looks at that same as he does witchcraft. So, you know, understand that Paul was talking to Timothy about these false teachers and false prophets. He said, look, they're, they're basically doing the same thing that Janies and Jambres did. They're of the devil just as well. They may not be practicing the dark arts, but they're practicing the dark kingdom and there's not really much difference as far as God is concerned. All right, and then, of course, you have Daniel uh, experiencing the magicians in, in Babylon. Now, let's jump forward here to the next point on your outline. And that is, Jesus declared that imitation Christians can work magic. Magic. Uh, he doesn't use the word magic, but that's what he's talking about. Now, again, we're talking about the occult, but this is the subdivision of magic, not just divination, forth, you know, uh, foretelling future events, uh, fortune tellers, palm reading, but also practicing spells and all this kind of stuff. For, so, so he says in Matthew twenty-four, twenty-four: For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now, I believe that what he's referring to there is the period of time called the Great Tribulation. The Antichrist, the false prophet, are, are going to be able to work miracles. The Bible clearly says it. We'll, we'll uh, um, see it as we it read through Scripture. But he says they will, they will rise, show great signs and wonders to deceive. Now, that doesn't mean that they're using sleight of hand. I think they're actually using demonic power to be able to work miracles at a certain level. Now, remember again... Satan is not stronger than God. It's not God and Satan fighting it out like two great titans, and we're going to find out who wins. That's already over. God won before the fight ever started. Remember that Lucifer is a fallen angel, and the angels who are with him that became demons are angels. Now, we've already covered all of that. Just want to remind you. So, we're not not looking to see whether or not God's going to win out. But, God in His sovereignty does allow... During this period of time called human history, for Satan and his demons to have certain leeway. In fact, Paul calls Satan the god of this world. And he doesn't own it. The Bible's quite clear that God owns this world. But right now, because of our fallen state and what Adam did, uh, Satan is the god of this world. So that's just uh, a point here we need to remember. And then Matthew 7 when Jesus says that many will say to me at the judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we uh, prophesy in your name? We cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name. Those wonders are more than good works. It's, it's more like miraculous. And he never argues whether or not they had done them. Now, we've got to be careful about using an argument from the silence of Scripture, The Bible doesn't specifically say it. We need to be very careful. But it does seem to imply that these people had done some miracles. And Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So he doesn't debate with them as to whether or not they had prophesied in his name and done these wonderful work, cast out demons. More than likely, he doesn't debate with them because they had done that. The problem is they were doing it by the power of Satan. Now some would say, well, why in the world would the devil allow his followers to cast out demons, to, to perpetuate the ruse, the deception, to keep people confused and they don't know who to follow and they don't know who God is. And I mean, that's the reason. It's not going to hurt those demons, especially if, it's, if they're being cast out because Satan's allowing it. Now, when Jesus was casting out demons, they accused him of casting out demons by the power of Satan. He said, now, now what sense does that make? I mean, a house divided against itself can't stand. Uh, why would Satan cast out Satan? Okay. But if we're talking about to deceive, well, then sure. The devil will do anything to deceive. And if he could, if he could make some false teacher appear to have the power to cast out demons when all the demons are really doing is cooperating to give this false prophet credentials. And then the false prophet teaches all kinds of other nonsense. Uh, of course, that doesn't happen very often, right? I mean, it's happening all the time. In my opinion, you almost can't turn on TBN and not see false prophets and false teaching and all kinds of nonsense. Well, this, would, this of course, would promote what the devil is doing. Then Scripture declares that the beast and the false prophet will work magic. And this is what I was referring to a while ago. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says that the Antichrist or the beast and the false prophet... Uh, will come uh, the coming of the lawless one who is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So once again, Jesus had predicted this, Matthew 24, and then Paul comes along and tells the, the church at Thessalonica that the beast is going, and the false prophet, they're going to work miracles because they're, they're going to try to deceive. And then, of course, if you go to Revelation chapter 13, you read about some of that. That uh, the, the beast performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. That's the beast and the false prophet. We don't exactly know what the image of the beast is. Some kind of idol. Uh... That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. We have to be careful, uh, you know, again, trying to figure out exactly what John is saying here. But but I, I think we can safely conclude biblically that uh, they work in miracles. Miracles at least under God's sovereignty. He allows a certain level of this. And of course, God will deal with all this. The devil's going to be put down. He's going to the lake of fire. The beast, the false prophet, they're going to go to the lake of fire. I mean, they're all going. It's just, it's just a matter of time. In fact, the beast and the false prophet are the first ones into the lake of fire. You'd think the devil would be. No, it's them. The devil's bound up for a thousand years during the millennium. Then he's loosed for just a little while. Then he's thrown into the lake of fire. The point is, God's in charge. So don't worry about that. But uh, this, this is real. We need to understand that the Bible deals with it very specifically. And then the third category is what we call spiritism. What is spiritism? Spiritism. Well, notice all of this is the occult, so there's some overlap here. I mean, there's no way that you can just have such distinct lines. But Spiritism is making contact with the spirits of deceased humans. Now, this is where people often get a little bit uh, confused. They're misled by false teachers. They're also confused by Hollywood. The idea that there are ghosts and uh, people... uh, uh, are seeing ghosts and, uh, they've had visitations from, from departed people. Well, first of all, let's make it clear that the Bible, God Himself, strictly forbids consulting mediums and those with familiar spirits. Now, a familiar spirit is a demon. That's, a, you understand? So, whenever you get the demons involved, you just automatically have deception. They're all about ruse and deception and, and slight, uh, shell game, but at a spiritual level. Uh, the Bible makes this very clear. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, 10, and 11 uh, tell us that uh, you should not have anyone who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, spiritism, or one who calls up the dead. Leviticus nineteen thirty one. 31, give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. 2 Kings 21, 6, 2 Chronicles 33, 6. Um, talking about uh, Manasseh. Also, he, Manasseh, a very wicked king in Israel, made his son pass through the fire, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So, this is a real deal. God deals with it directly. God wouldn't forbid it if it wasn't real. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 24. So Josiah comes along and put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods uh, and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem. Isaiah eight nineteen. And when they say to you, Seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, Should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? Answer, that's no. Now, the reason why the Bible's addressing this is because people attempt to do it. Now, most often, and I believe almost always, the the, the dead person that supposedly is called up is not that dead person. The Bible's very clear about that, and we'll mention it in a moment. We've talked about it previously. It's the familiar spirit masquerading as that person. It's the demon impersonating a departed person. You say, well, how would they know about them? Well, they've been around before people. These demons share information. They're not omnipresent, but they've lived through the centuries and they know how man operates. They can figure out what we think. I mean, my gosh, my wife knows how I think. She'll look at me and sometimes say, I know what you're thinking. Well, if she can know what I'm thinking, what about the devil, the demons and all that? They can't read my mind. She can't read my mind. Thank the Lord for that. Because sometimes. Now, anyway, but uh, they are... Uh, they are at work on this planet, and so we just we just need to understand that it's the real deal. But these demons impersonate, and so they have all kinds of information that they can share with one another. And they've been around for centuries, and so they do a pretty good job of making you think that's that deceased person. They'll know stuff that only that person could know. Well, how does that demon know that? Because they're a demon. I mean, they've been around. They know all of this stuff. They're in they're in cahoots with each other, so that's why. It is, uh, it is so important. In fact, God says that it's such a terrible sin that he pronounces the death penalty on people who, who dabble in this. I won't read all this, but Leviticus 20, verses 6 and 27, God says, put them to death. It's the death penalty. And by the way, um, I, don't, I popped that off there so quick, uh, if you didn't get that written down. Uh, a lot of people get squeamish when you start talking about the death penalty. They say, hey, you know, Christian country, I don't, of course we're not a Christian country, but you know, Christians in this country shouldn't be for the death penalty. God has the death penalty. Now, we're not God, but under Him, He sets forth certain principles, and He told His people to carry out the death. Now, God sometimes would just intervene and strike them dead. Sometimes he'd open up the earth and swallow them like Korah and his 3,000 followers. But sometimes God has believers, his people, carry out capital punishment. Now, we're not to be vigilantes. We don't just take, you know, uh, a noose and go running after somebody because we're mad at them. or We think they've done something horrible and just hang them. I mean, there's due process and all of that. But the point is, God... Uh, commanded the death penalty for these people. So that, that should tell us just just how uh, serious God is. Now, let's remind ourselves of something here, and that is this. When we're talking about ghosts, apparitions, people seeing ghosts and all that, just remember that dead people do not come back until the resurrection. As, as, you know, there's just very few times when deceased people show up in Scripture. You have Saul showing up when... Uh, Excuse me, Samuel showing up when Saul goes to the witch at Endor. We we looked at that story pretty thoroughly a couple of weeks ago. Now, the witch didn't bring back Samuel, I'm convinced. God allowed that because God wanted to pronounce judgment on Saul and his sons. And so he uses the prophet Samuel. Uh, The witch, in fact, shrieks when she sees that it's actually Samuel because she expected the familiar spirit to impersonate Samuel. She had done that lots of times. But the real Samuel shows up. And then you have... You know, Moses and Elijah showing up at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is glorified and the, the apostles get all jazzed up and want to start building memorials, you know, and, uh, but, but there are very few times when someone who has already died is allowed by the Lord to show back up. But when they do, it's God pulling those strings. But I do believe that we get into seances and talking to the, the spirits of departed people. We just open the door for, um, demonic activity. So Psalm 88:10 says, "Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you?" And of course the answer is no, not till the resurrection. Hebrews 9:27 is it appointed unto men once to die and after this what? Flying around like Casper the ghost, haunting people? No, the judgment. Of course you go to Luke 16 Jesus pulls back the veil and allows us to see into what we call the spirit world. I mean, we're in the spirit world now. What I'm talking about is the, the place where deceased, the, the deceased soul and spirit that are inseparable, separated from the body. That's what death is. It's the Greek word thanatos, which means separation. It's a penalty for Adam's sin. Death passed upon all men. But there's also that spiritual death as well, separation from God. But uh, when those people die, they're locked. And so this is what... Uh, Abraham tells the rich man in hell, he says, And besides all this between us and you, there's a great goal fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Now, of course, the rich man says, Well, if you'd send back somebody, maybe send back Lazarus, he could witness to my brothers, those good-for-nothing brothers. And they, if they saw someone back from the dead, they'd believe. And what does Abraham say to him? No, they wouldn't. They would not. They'd find some way to explain it away. They have Moses and the prophets. Now, we'd say in our day, they have the Bible. They have God's Word. But, of course, when Jesus was telling that story, you only have the Old Testament. Which is why it's such a joke for guys like Andy Stanley to say, we ought to do away with our Old Testaments. Well, then you do away with the Scriptures that Paul and Jesus referred to. And Jesus said, church, search the Scriptures, for in them you'll find me. Moses wrote about me. Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. Well, how would you know that if you don't have the Old Testament? It's just it's the height of uh, first of all illogic, or it's the height uh, they're, they're illogical, but but they're just nuts and then demented some way. For somebody like Andy Stanley, say, well, just unhootch from unhitch from the Old Testament. Yeah, we want. Christianity with amnesia that's what we want we want to say we believe stuff but we don't know why we don't have any history to bring us to that point so the American church just all gets amnesia and we walk around and of course now you have these Christians like Beth Moore and Andy Stanley and a whole host of them that if whether they've announced it or not they've kind of embraced by how they talk this red letter Christianity. I don't know if you've followed any of that, but we're all familiar with the red-letter edition of Scripture, right? And so, basically, they say the only thing you can quote from, the only thing that you can follow and believe is what's printed and read in Scripture. In other words, just the words of Jesus. So then they'll rag on you if you say, well, but Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, oh, that's Paul, that's Paul. Well, Peter wrote, oh, well, well that's Peter. Well, now, James said, oh, well, that's James. I follow the teachings of Jesus. And yet the Bible tells us all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable to ultimately mature all of us and to give us truth. So, no, we don't worship Paul. In fact, I was listening to a little footage of Beth Moore yesterday speaking at a, a conference where she was accusing the evangelical church, and in particular, Southern Baptists. We're independent Baptists here, but Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist pastor most of my life. Today, I'm embarrassed of what they're doing and what they believe. But, but she was accusing the Southern Baptist of worshiping Paul on a level with Jesus. I don't know anybody who is a born-again Christian who then gets into the pulpit and says we should worship Paul. I don't know any evangelical preacher that can't differentiate between the divinity of Jesus and the call of Paul or Peter or James. It's just, it's ridiculous. But she says this kind of stuff because she's kind of bought into this, uh, this social justice movement and CRT and this red letter Christianity. Now she won't, confess it publicly because she knows it'd kind of be disaster for her ministry, but you listen to her talk. See, if you if you let people talk long enough, they'll tell you what they are. They'll tell you what they believe. And so, so you know, they, they, they get into all this kind of stuff. But, but Paul warns us about these things in the New Testament. And We have all of this. So it's so important for us to have a well-rounded view of Scripture and to understand, and not just the just the red letters although whatever jesus says is enough but jesus also inspired the 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 apostles to write the epistles which were not the wives of the apostles by the way those are actually letters that are written to help us know how to how to be christians as we we ought so So people don't come back from the dead till the resurrection. There are just a few very limited examples of that and that was God doing that. So don't be worried about ghosts. Now you say, well, but stuff goes on at my house. Well, demons, I guess. But I can promise you it ain't ghosts. Probably your wife. I I don't know. I'm just kidding. Anyhow. I mean, you know, because Christians get wound up in this stuff. There are no ghosts. There's no 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 disembodied spirits floating around. Demons, yes, of course. They just want to mess with us anyway. So so there you go. Okay, one last thing that I wanted to give you, and I think this is on your outline. Now I wanna let me let me give a, a little uh provision here, a precursor. I've quoted some from uh Merrill Unger throughout this series. And there's some quotes there. Please understand that when I quote from someone, that does not be- mean that I believe everything they've written or say. Now, I won't quote from someone that I know is a known heretic. Like, you're not going to hear me quoting from Rob Bell unless I'm quoting from him to show you what a heretic he is. Okay? But sometimes you quote from different writers, but but they're off on some stuff. And, and one of the things that Merrill Unger says uh, in, uh, I believe it's this book, Demons in the World Today... Is that because of missionaries and, and they're telling him stories of people on the mission field That had been saved out of demonism And then turned back to idols and became possessed again That because of that he gives a provision that he believes Christians might be able to be possessed Well there's no scripture that teaches that In fact we spent a whole long time showing what the Bible says that I believe makes that impossible You don't base your theology on what people say they've seen No matter what you think you may have seen, no matter what experience you may have had, no matter what experience somebody else has had, I'm not suggesting that people aren't having experiences, but I'm telling you, if our experience doesn't line up with Scripture, then our experience is probably from the dark side. So whenever I quote from people like Merrill Unger and others, I try to be careful. Uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, so I mean, he has pretty good credentials, but... You may sometime crack open a book that Merrill Unger wrote, and you find something that he says that you don't agree with. I mean, I crack open books that John MacArthur wrote, and as much as I respect and esteem him, I disagree with him at some places. Now, that's not to say that you ought to just be quoting from whack jobs and say, well, I disagree with 99.9% of what they say, but that one little thing was a kernel of truth. Well, maybe you won't want to do that. Maybe somebody you need to agree with quite a bit. And then maybe you just disagree on something, but they're not a, a heretic. So we need to be very, very careful. So the reason why I put this on your outline is because he uh, divides the occult, uh, what we've been talking about here, in, in, and the, the, the actual uh, manifestations into physical phenomena, psychic phenomena, uh, metaphysical phenomena uh magic phenomena and then of course cultic phenomena and so he goes a little deeper into it be very very careful please i don't know i don't know if i can warn you enough be very extremely careful when you purchase and or read a book on spiritual warfare on demonism on angels be be incredibly careful there are not a lot of what i believe to be Dependable works on those subjects Out there They just aren't Most of what's out there Has been written by Word of faith people And folks that are just into the You know faith as a force And uh, your words can turn, Contain the force and you speak the words And the force is released And you have the same power that Jesus had And you can you can speak Your world into existence just like Jesus did Well then do one Please, just show me. I mean, it's it's not biblical at all. And I'm not condemning these people to hell. That's between them and God. But what they teach when it when it's put beside Scripture just doesn't line up. Be very, very careful because there's a lot of stuff out there on spiritual warfare. Let me give you just one example because we're going to get into spiritual warfare next week and, and deliverance from uh, for people who are demonically possessed or Christians that have put themselves into a position where they may be demonized at some level. When you look at Ephesians chapter 6, the great spiritual armor chapter, I've probably been guilty of it as well. And I've heard other preachers be guilty that they say, well, what you need to do is you need to every morning when you wake up, put on your armor and you go through this whole list. I get what they mean. I even get what I meant. The whole idea is you need to understand that you're a soldier on a battlefield and that soldiers need armor, they need weaponry. And so when you get up in the morning, you just need to pray, Lord, deliver us from the evil one like Jesus said in his model prayer and make me a good soldier. But I've seen some that are so legalistic about it that they get up in the morning and they list every piece of that armor and they verbally... And and there are some preachers that teach you how to do this... And almost to the point that if you happen to skip one, buddy, you're going to get hit that day. I mean, you didn't say that one, so you're going to get nailed. You didn't mention one. That is simply a metaphor that Paul is using for the overarching subject of spiritual warfare and the fact that in Christ we have the armor that is provided by the Spirit of God. And if we're walking faithfully, then we are protected. He's just simply saying how important things like faith are and the Word of God are and our willingness to put on the the, the shoes of the gospel and to share the gospel. And that becomes, in essence, people who are living faithfully an increased level of protection from the evil one. He's not actually saying that you literally have Spiritual armor, and if you could, you put on a pair of glasses and all of a sudden see in the spirit world. Some of us are sitting here half clothed with a, you know, breastplate on, but no helmet. and Others have a helmet and nothing else. And I mean, you know, it, it, that's that's not what he's saying. So we need to be very careful. And so sometimes when you read some of these folks, man, they just go bonkers. And I think it's even important to to be very very leery of people who claim they've seen angels. Or they've seen demons. I'll be honest with you. I don't think most people who claim they're seeing angels or demons have seen either one. Now, they may have seen a demon and that a demon's trying to, to deceive. Now, I know what Scripture says about we entertain strangers. Because sometimes we've entertained or seen an angel and we weren't aware of it. But I'm talking about these people that they have demons sit down and talk to them and tell them all this stuff. And then they believe, well, uh, the demon's showing his hand here. So I'm going to write all this down. You think the demon wouldn't lie to you? I mean, there are Christian writers that quote demons and they teach on spiritual warfare and demonism because of the testimony of somebody that was possessed and the demon was speaking through them. Well, you don't think he'd lie about that? Of course he would. So I just think we need to be incredibly careful when we tread into this, into some of these subjects. Now, the Bible is just point blank clear about a lot of things. But when you, when you get into the occult and spiritism and divination and magic and all, we just need to stay away. It's just evil. We don't need to mess with it. We need to encourage our family and friends stay away from it. Even if you're just playing around, uh, don't mess with Ouija boards. And I only say that because they they turned it into a game. Well, there's no game to a Ouija board. That is a tool that witches use. Don't mess with that stuff. Don't don't mess around with the horoscope and palm reading and you know card reading and all, not even for fun. Because I can tell you this, the demons are serious, and they're not doing this for fun. You are hated if you're a believer, and even if you're not, you're hated. The problem is with unbelievers is they don't have the Holy Spirit, so they have no defense, which is terrible. So don't don't mess with this stuff. But I think it's important that we kind of spend a little bit of time like we have talking about it. So what we'll do next week is we'll shift gears now here and go into the last lesson And we'll talk about. So, what happens? How how do you deal with this? What what if you encounter someone that's possessed? What about all these people like Bob Larson that are running around the country claiming that they're casting out demons and he's talking to these demons and all that kind of stuff? Is that biblical? What about these these Catholics that have been you know practicing exorcism and how how do you do that? Uh, What does the Bible say about that? We're going to find that the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about that at all, and there's reason. We'll, We'll talk about all of that. Is that all real? Do we need to be doing that stuff? So, so we'll, we'll talk about that next week, okay? So thank you so much for your attentiveness. Take a break and we'll have our worship service here in just a little bit.